All right, hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. I'm Tristan Carcino. And per annual tradition, it's Labor Day. The Seahawks season is about to start. The NFL season is about to start. And that means we are pleased to welcome back to the pod for our annual Seahawks season preview and NFL over-unders, friend of the pod, third Pelton brother extraordinaire, Ben Baldwin. Hi, thanks for having me. I... I don't know if the over-unders is an annual tradition, because I think you guys have a lot of other people doing it. But I do remember the one year I did it, I did awesome. And there is no way I'm ever going to live up to that again. So there, there is that. Yeah, Danny did really well. We did it with him at the live show the first time we did it. And then you came on in year two and did even better than Danny. And both of you crushed both of us. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure he did the last couple of years, but definitely this I, season I beat previous. you last year. I don't think I forgot about that. That, that is accurate. Okay. That is fair. I think it was the first time ever that I've beaten you. Might be. Usually you are extraordinarily bad at it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm just telling facts here. Uh, Tristan, do you have any thoughts you want to kick us off with? Uh, wow, putting me on the spot. Well, you told so, me before you had thoughts. So. Oh, to kick us off with? Oh, no. I mean, one of my thoughts was wanting to come back to a conversation that we had uh, post the Husky game last week, and that was John Donovan and John Donovan's offense at the University of Washington. And I, I think, I guess, Ben, out of curiosity, just did you watch that game at all? <laughs> I did. I, I did not see a single play in that game. I, I was um, happily watching tennis in the U.S. Open, and it, from the tweets I saw about that game, it did not give me any reason to switch over. And then I did enjoy the the aftermath Pelton cast, um, but without the context of having watched any of the games. So <laughs> that's where I. <laughs> well, hard for you to adjudicate the uh, debate. Yeah, but was that not clear from the tweet on Sunday? Like what happened to the Washington Huskies? <laughs> oh no, I, don't, I didn't see that. Uh, well, so imagine an offense where the entire offense stands up and lines where they're going, lines up where they're going to be, and does not move pre-snap. That is the Washington Huskies' offense, and I think it's very interesting because what we're really counting on for the Seahawks season is the exact opposite of that. You know, I hear things like Danny Kelly going on the Bill Simmons podcast and saying play action is basically a cheat code. And really the other aspect of that is pre-snap motion is also a cheat code. The offense is allowed something that the defense it, to move pre-snap cannot adjust to. And being they, they able, actually can't adjust to. But, but it's, it's so quick in that moment, being able to adjust to it and that motion. Well, the offense already has an advantage in that they know where they're going and the defense doesn't. That's one of the biggest advantages that the offense has. And if you can change where you're going to go last minute, it's an even bigger advantage. And I've seen a lot of excitement coming into the Seahawks season. And I think a lot of it really has to do with those two concepts. I think almost all of it has to do with those two concepts. You know, there might be a slight upgrade on the defensive line. I think there's a pretty clear downgrade in the Seahawks secondary. People are not talking about this defense, though. They are talking about one person heading into the season, and that is offensive coordinator Shane Waldron, which is kind of a wild position to be in, that we're talking about an offensive coordinator giving uh, a team so much hope, and people around the country really rallying around this. How much of that hope heading into the season do you think is founded? I think there's, like, if you want to be optimistic about the Seahawks season, I, I do think that's 
where you have to start. And um, it, it's certainly possible that all of this pans out and like all, all the things that we've been wanting to see from the Seahawks offense for so many years, we actually see those things and it gives them the, the, the layup throws um, for Russell Wilson that, that we've been wanting for. And, and I could, I could definitely see that. And it, it's, it, it kind of makes you think like, what if they had done this in 2018 after getting rid of Daryl Bevel, we all wanted like a, a progressive offensive coordinator who would bring in all these modern schemes and concepts and kind of place them even footing on the other teams in their division. And uh, we're, we're finally going to get to see what it, what it looks like. So it, instead of being a what if, at least um, assuming that Waldron is um, up to um, or as good as the, the McVeighs and Shanahan's of the world, which is a big assumption, um, if that is true, then um, it will finally get to see what Russell Wilson can do in an offense like that, uh, which is exciting. Yeah, it was interesting. I, so I re-listened to the podcast we did recapping the Seahawks season the day after the loss to the Rams. And it was interesting. Like, I didn't listen to most of it. I was mostly listening for, we're going to go through our predictions for who was going to stay and who was going to go in the offseason. Uh, but I did come across, like, one section where I was talking about the difference between the way the, the Rams run, have historically run a pretty run-heavy offense, and the way the Seahawks run a run-heavy offense and, you know, in favor of the Rams and lo and behold, you know, a, a couple of weeks later, someone from that Rams tree is brought in as offensive coordinator. And I don't think that it's going to be a wholesale change. Like Pete Carroll is still the head coach of this team. There are certain parameters that he set, which is why they hired, hired Daryl Bevel. I'm sorry, why they hired Brian Schottenheimer to replace Daryl Bevel when they did. Uh, as opposed to going out when getting someone who probably would have wanted more say in what the offense was going to look like and, and you know, how just kind of the, the general guidelines. But within that, I think there's a lot of opportunity to be more creative with the things you mentioned, which the Seahawks dipped their toes into under Brian Schottenheimer. They weren't completely against it in the way that John Donovan's offense has been, but they didn't full on embrace it, especially the pre-snap uh, at the snap motion as opposed to pre-snap motion, which is what actually has been shown to have a statistical influence on the outcome of plays uh, in the research. Motion. Yeah, that was the research by Seth Walder, my colleague at ESPN. And that is literally, that's a motion that the defense has a very difficult time to adjust to. Yeah, there's like, as an offense, you want to do everything you can to make make the defense communicate with each other and make all, all, a, a series of rapid decisions where any decision, if they get it wrong, will give you an advantage on the play. And that's like, if you have a man in motion at the snap, it just, it's, it seems like um, it stands to reason that you're more likely for that to happen when the defense has to adjust on the play like that and really strain their communication. Yeah, it, it feels like cheating that is available to these offenses <laughs> and has been available to these offenses. I mean, it's perfectly allowed within the rules. I, I don't know what your definition <laughs> of cheating is. Doing something good is a strange definition of cheating. I mean, I suppose play action, you are in a literal sense trying to trick the defense. <laughs> it's like calling doing a pick and roll cheating or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> or, a, or a pump fake. Like, how dare you pretend to shoot and not actually shoot? But but it's, a, it's it's a form of lying. It's an advantage that NFL teams have that not as many NFL teams are taking advantage of as you would assume would be doing so. And obviously the trend is in this direction, but the Seahawks being even remotely on trend with the offensive talent that they have, I think it stands to reason why there's excitement. The part that makes me a little bit more nervous is obviously their 76-year-old head coach. Um, and 
That's Pat Riley is 76. Pete Carroll's not quite 76. And having 106? Uh, <laughs> Looks great for 106, though. How much Pete Carroll is really willing to let go of this offense and how much you know control he's really willing to give to Shane Waldron within the scheme. Obviously, he's brought in for a specific reason. We understand why Shane Waldron is here, but the amount of experience that Shane Waldron has is zero as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. You know, this is not somebody who's proven. This is not somebody who's coming in. They didn't hire Eric Bieniemy as their offensive coordinator, where you have to completely turn the offense over to them. I understand that Pete Carroll is clearly thinking with this perspective that he could see the 49ers and the Rams running this offense and roasting the Seahawks with it every single season. I understand that. But when things go wrong, how much is Pete Carroll going to stick to that? And I think that's the part that really gives me pause heading into this season. The offense was phenomenal in the first half of last year. And, you know, there are many ways to look at it. I guess the, the way that the dialogue has kind of been determined around the offense is Russell Wilson got scared of making those plays and defenses with two high safeties adjusted to that. Now that we're sitting months after the season ended, how true do we think those narratives are about what happened at the end of last year? Yeah, it's hard to answer for sure without like actually knowing, but like observing what happened. So there, there was the, the famous 10 turnovers in three games or four games, whatever it was, it was like the Bills and Rams game and oh, and Cardinals game. And then one other game there. So I think it was 10 to four games. And then like after that, we saw, uh, we, we saw what looked like a different offense. Um, their kind of pass rate over expected um, was either first or second in the league for before that. And then crept back more towards average after that. And after the season we had um, before, before Schottenheimer and the CX part of ways, we had, Carol praising Schottenheimer for kind of adjusting the offense to um, tamp down on those turnovers. So all, all signs point to the Seahawks offense changing because of Pete Carroll's turnover aversion. And this shouldn't be surprising because like his, like the, his whole philosophy about football is, is protect the ball. And it's all about the ball. This is like, that's, that's one of the things that he stresses over and over again. So I, I definitely agree that, like there is reason for optimism, but there's also not exactly a track record of sticking with things when, like, when when things go south. Pete Carroll has an idea of how football should be played, so um, it it kind of stretches belief to think that that's going to change. And I, I I think it was after that first Falcons game, someone asked him why they passed so much, and he said something. If I'm remembering right, like it's easy to pass if you're completing every pass. But <laughs> the question is, what happens when you, you're not completing every pass and you have some turnovers? And like, at, at some point this season, uh, we will find that out. I mean, one of the things that I've argued to Tristan is that Russell Wilson was unsustainably <clears throat> hot on deep balls in the first half of the season. Yep. And then there was probably like the gambler's fallacy actually played out where it did even out in the second half of the season. And he was below what you would expect on deep passes. And that kind of the average of those two, the overall season is what we should expect from going forward. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. And I, I this makes me think of, um, I, I put together like a, a video clip of Russell Wilson, like hitting deep balls with the, some Pelton class cast clip. And I can't remember what the actual clip was. And as I was putting it together, I was like, wow, there are a lot of deep balls in this on <laughs> yeah. things like busted coverage and like stuff like that. And 
like this looks great but how sustainable is this and then of course in the second half of the season that completely went away unfortunately <laughs> i can't remember if by the time we talked after the season there had been a lot of this research into how much cover two teams were actually playing against the seahawks in the second half of the season it seems somewhat overstated that that was the reason that the offense slowed down and the other thing that is kind of intersects with it and is probably a reason that people are underrating the Seahawks offense in the second half of the season is they played a bunch of bad defenses to start the season. And then they kept playing the number one defense of the league over and over again in the second half of the season, that being the LA Rams. Yeah. The, the, the three, three Rams games in, in nine games um, definitely absolutely colored how, how we saw the, the Seahawks. And like, if, if you can't pass protecting us, the Rams, then um, like <laughs> there's a very limited number of things that you can do. And yeah, we can also, we, we can all point to a few plays that Russell Wilson should have uh, done better. Like if they're open, open receivers or he should have progressed somewhere else faster. But at the same time, if you're playing with a head coach who has been drilling into your head for nine seasons that you can't turn the ball over and you don't trust your line to pass protect and Tyler Lockett's not hundred percent, then like it's really hard to generate offense against the top defenses and, and the Rams um, like they, they just had such a great scheme for taking away the kinds of things that the Seahawks wanted to do. And we, and we saw that over three games. So like all the things together uh, made it really tough. Uh, you mentioned Tyler Lockett, Ben. Is that another reason to have hope heading into the season? Uh, Tyler Lockett's health is something that you've really harped on as being something that's really opened up the offense for the Seahawks. He's coming into this year, presumably healthy. Yeah, I think... If, if he can stay, if, if we knew for certain that Lockett and Metcalf would stay healthy for the whole season, I, I think we would have more reason to be optimistic about um, what we would see from them. And, and we remember like how, how much of a game changer he can be when he is healthy that um, that first game against the Cardinals, they lost, but he has something, it was like 200 yards and three touchdowns or something like that. And he um, like just his threat of speed on the field makes it a lot harder to take away DK Metcalf, I think, because like if you're the Rams and you have Jalen Ramsey follow DK Metcalf, and it seems like Wilson's not that eager to test Ramsey, then um, if Lockett's not that much of a threat, then there's really uh, there's really no one else that scares defenses. Hope, hopefully that'll change with maybe D. Eskridge or Gerald Everett or and these other pieces that they've signed. But uh, I, Lockett staying healthy would would definitely help. But he like he hasn't had that many healthy seasons from start to finish, unfortunately. I mean, that's the other place where D. Eskridge could maybe help if, in mm-hmm. fact, he's that much of a contributor right away. If if you're not having it, because D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were playing as large a number of snaps, at least early in the season when I looked at it, as any receivers in the NFL. And Tyler Lockett's not a big guy. It's understandable that he's going to wear down, get banged up over the course of the season. If you can maybe get him down to like 85% of snaps and instead of 90 to 95, maybe that helps a little bit. I hope so. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so you mentioned players like Gerald Everett, you know, when looking at this offense, it looks largely the same to what it did last season. You know, the, the principal members are still there. Obviously it's Russ, Chris Carson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, right? It, Dwayne Brown kind of anchoring the offensive line. There've been minor offensive line changes. Gerald Everett is in, who's probably the best tight end that Russ has played with in the last handful of seasons, depending on Will Disney's wow, health. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> uh, but he's de- definitely an experienced tight end and pass catcher. Do any of those things give us enough hope that maybe aside from the scheme, 
that we should be approaching the season as the offense is going to take a leap forward? I think it's certainly in the range of outcomes and perhaps even likely, like assuming good health, then there's no reason to think that the Seahawks wouldn't have a very good to great offense. I, I guess if you're going to poke holes in what we should expect from them, like last season they had three interior linemen who couldn't pass protect and now they have two interior linemen who can't pass protect um unless um uh Damian Lewis takes the stuff forward but he like he really struggled at times like he, he's he's a great Mahler run blocker but not always a reliable reliable and pass protecting so like if he takes a step forward and um Gabe Jackson solidifies the other guard spot then then maybe they'd have a, sh- a shot at pass protecting against teams like the Rams um, and e- even the 49ers getting all their guys back um that that's like one kind of under the radar possibility that could I don't want to say make or break but um perhaps change the ceiling of what we might expect from the offense I mean I would say that I don't think it's possible for them to take a leap because they were for all the quibble about the second half they were the sixth best offense last season in the NFL by DVOA I mean I think it's possible they could be better if you look at football outsiders projections for this season they have them improving slightly to fourth in offensive DVOA but making a leap from that is like you got to have the, the 2012 second half offense coming back, I guess. Or the 2020 first half offense. Yeah. But uh, those, again, those offenses are outliers. They are hard to sustain for a reason. And they, I, I think they finished number one in DVOA offense in 2015 too. So like we've seen, we've seen the, the upper, um, upper tail outcomes with Russell Wilson um, as a possibility. It's just a question of whether they can put that all together again with the new offensive coordinator. Do we want to go group by group on offense? It's really been about scheme. That's, and that's, that's what I think we come back to. And I think I actually, I'm going to talk myself into this. I think that's why people are excited about Shane Waldron is the times that Russell Wilson has really excelled has been when he's obviously operating, you know, Russ has been playing in a phenomenally high level, but when it feels like the scheme has really fit what he's doing, right. You talk about 2015, this is like, it's like the 95 Mariners to us. Like the Super Bowl is one thing. The second half of the 2000, like we're going to be making the statues that we make for the Seahawks are about the second half of that season. Put up the Thomas Rawls statue. Uh, but as an aside, we were driving past Safeco Field, as it's called, yesterday. And I was showing the children that we'd saw the Edgar Martinez statue for the first time. And I'm like, look, children, those players right there advanced all the way to the ALCS. Wow. <laughs> Take it in. <laughs> Someday Rawls, maybe you'll see something similar. <laughs> Thomas Rawls won me four consecutive fantasy matchups. Uh, but, but those are the moments, right? We know that the scheme was perfect at the end of 2015. The scheme in the first half of 2020, it resulted in a handful of turnovers, but the offense was still phenomenal in that time period. Nobody's saying that the offense played badly in those games. Turnovers don't necessarily equal bad offense. It's bad process to overvalue turnovers. And I think it's the one thing where if, if they can finally meet, I don't know if Bevel is the offensive coordinator. I don't know if Brian Schottenheimer is the offensive coordinator. Maybe it's Shane Waldron. But people trick themselves into every offensive coordinator being the one. Maybe this is the one, though, where there's a scheme where they can actually run a modern NFL scheme, pair that with Russell Wilson's abilities through an entire season. I think only my hot take was the only person talking themselves into Brian Schottenheimer being the right person for the Seahawks offensive coordinator. At the, at at the least beginning outside of 2020, of the... though, we, we were yes. 
he was the right person at the beginning of 2020. There was head coaching talk, and now he's a quarterback coach. Something <laughs> went horribly wrong in the second half. Uh, as I was saying, do we want to go like position by position and talk about this? I mean, I don't know how much we want to talk about Russell Wilson, although it, it is kind of fascinating the discrepancy between how much players downvoted him in the NFL 100, where he was outside the top 10, and ESPN last week did their version of the NFL top 100 voted on by, by writers and Wilson was fourth, which I think is probably more closely matches where we would have him. Yeah. I, from what I've heard about the players vote, they, the, the process is not good and they don't take it super seriously. Like I think they're given, they just like write down a list of 10 names or something. And it's just like, you're ranking a hundred players based on random players, top tens, which I don't know how ESPN does it, but that, that is not how I would approach it. So uh, let's go with the ESPN list as, as the one and true good list. <laughs> <laughs> I endorse that call. We, we were, we're not going to talk about where Jamal Adams ranked on that list. <laughs> oh, no. Who, okay, so he's number four. Who are the, who are the top three? Mahomes? Uh, Aaron Rodgers was ahead of him. Oh, I, I retract my... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you're back in. <laughs> what happened? So it was uh, Mahomes, Rodgers, and... Don't tell me Josh Allen. Uh, Aaron Donald was the third one. Okay, fine. All right, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll accept that. That's fair. <laughs> Josh Allen was number nine. Okay, so I, I mean, I don't know. We need to talk a lot about Russell, where Russell Wilson ranks. We're, we're in agreement that he's an elite quarterback, a top tier quarterback. Uh, where, how do we feel about the running back group? Especially like it's been fascinating. They kept five at that position. Rashad Penny, despite Tristan telling me he got traded to the Ravens, was one of those five. Uh, <laughs> I mean, running backs don't matter, but how relative to other teams do the Seahawks running backs not matter? I, I think like to the extent that running backs can be differentiated in the NFL, I, th I think Chris Carson's a very good running back. So like as long as he stays healthy, then I feel perfectly fine about the Seahawks running back room. That that is the extent of the attention that I've paid to the Seahawks running back situation. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do as far as third down back, where Carlos Hyde played that role last year. Travis Homer, they certainly trust considerably as a pass protector. I don't think his receiving DVOA has been particularly strong the last couple of years. Uh, DJ Dallas probably flashes the most potential as a pass catcher out of the backfield. So how they manage that, those two in that spot will be interesting. Uh, wide receivers. We've talked about this a little bit, only keep four at that position. Uh, D Eskridge and Freddie Swain, who, you know, saw some playing time last season as the number four receiver, but the top three were on the field the vast majority of the time uh, in the mix behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And I guess the other question is, is there room for DK Metcalf to improve off of what we saw last season? Yeah, it's a hard question because like on the one hand, he's awesome. And then on the other hand, like he had the, a few blow games that were a lot based on deep balls, which again are, are very random. So like, can he improve? Yes, absolutely. Um, just because like, I think his production is inherently pretty high variance. And like, if, if they catch the good side of that variance, then he could just have like a crazy all-time season if the Seahawks throw the ball enough. And um, on the other side is like, if, if they just don't connect on deep balls for whatever reason, and he doesn't get involved in other ways, then he could have um, not, not a disappointing season, but like even last season is a lot to live up to. And 
he and also like he's done a great job staying healthy but they're like he did have a pretty scary injury in college so just fingers crossed on him continuing to have a healthy nfl career yeah but dk metcalf could be the best wide receiver in the nfl it's within the realm of possibility yeah yeah. uh tight ends you talked about the addition of gerald everett like first off did we talk enough about wide receivers there I, i i feel like this is one of the places where you know there's just not a lot there for wide receivers, <laughs> right? Like there just literally aren't that many players on the roster. So I suspect what we're going to see is the Seahawks sort of view it as the fifth receiver is they're going to rotate through four guys on their practice squad. Oh, those guys get the two games that you're allowed to be promoted from the practice squad. And then they sort of figure out if one of those guys emerges based on that, it would be my guess at how they handle fifth receiver, which is more of a special teams position anyway, if the top four are healthy. Uh, you're still expecting a lot there from Freddie Swain or somebody like that, right? I mean, not having an experienced fourth receiver is, it's kind of surprising that they're going into the season without that when it feels like receivers generally are available and they just have not filled that position at all. Is David Moore available? He signed with the Raiders <laughs> practice squad oh, earlier. Really? Earlier <laughs> reported this Monday. I mean, Swain was their number four last year. He got 21 targets all season. I, right, I don't know fair. that it's a, fair enough. a big I, concern. Again, if those guys are now, if those guys aren't healthy, then it becomes a substantially different concern. Philip Dorsett, I don't know if he signed to a practice squad. He's still out there. He also <laughs> didn't make the Jaguars. This is, by the Jermaine way, very Curse telling. Is he retired? Uh, yeah, Jermaine, Jermaine <laughs> Curse is with UW football. Uh, <laughs> Jacob, Jacob Hollister, I guess, signed Wow, I now think a lot worse of Jermaine Curse. Oh, no. <laughs> like, all the receivers from last year's Seahawks who signed elsewhere got cut. It's kind of wild, really. Yeah, that, that's uh, probably not a good sign about um, their success at investing a receiver in prior years. David Moore was like phenomenally effective last season. He caught 75% of his targets for 8.9 yards per target, which also was part of that, like Russell Wilson, unsustainable success on deep balls. How many targets did he have last year? He had 47. So it's a small sample. 47 Russell Wilson targets to a (laughs) replacement level player. (laughs) It it is telling, I think. And that's where it may be easier for someone like D. Eskridge to uh, get up to speed quickly because of the fact that he's in a favorable spot, a plain opposite Lockett and Metcalf with Russell Wilson. So Jacob Hollister was one of those former Seahawks receiving options who did not make his team. Last year, caught averaged 5.2 yards per target. Greg Olson, 6.5 yards per target in his final season before announcing his retirement. Only the thrill, Will Disley, at 8.7 yards per target with a decent average there. Gerald Everett's advanced stats in LA were not effusive, but again, it's a situation where the bar is pretty low and the situation is favorable. Yeah, it's it's probably hard to be... um efficient as a receiver in that offense last year, which was struggled a lot of the time. So I I've been, I've been talked into per target stats, not being super useful for receivers, especially once they're switching from one team to another. So fingers crossed on, like, I, I would be shocked if, if Everett didn't have a better number there uh, relative to what was in what he had at the Rams. Oh yeah, definitely I mean, switching teams. Yeah, yeah, the quarterback drives that much more than the receiver, but I do think there's some utility to comparing, like especially tight ends in the same group. Yep. I mean, it's it's exactly what you're talking about, David Moore, though. Those were targets from 
John Wolford and Jared Goff. And now those <laughs> John, are John Wolford played one game in like one series <laughs> in the playoffs. I don't think he was a big factor. Yeah, I mean, now to to go to my my point about you can compare within the same group. Gerald Everett averaged six point seven yards per target. Taylor Higby playing the same position with the same quarterbacks averaged eight point seven. So Higby did seem to elevate above that. And maybe that's why they were fine with letting Gerald Everett walk. <laughs> I think that was definitely a factor in it, along with their salary cap crunch. The offensive line, do we think this could potentially be a league average group if the pass rush improvement on the interior that Ben talked about comes to pass? I mean, certainly still some concerns at center where Ethan Posick was injured in the preseason. Kyle Fuller is starting, but uh, Pete Carroll just said in his most recent press availability that he expects both of those guys to play because Posick just really didn't get a fair chance to compete in training camp with his injuries. Yeah, that's probably the biggest hole on this side of the ball. Um, so um, hopefully one of them clearly wins the job and is at least passable. But yeah, I, I think this could definitely be a league average offensive line. And even in the first half of last year, they were probably better than that even. So um, if, if Shell gets back to 100% and Dwayne Brown uh, comes and plays and looks like he did last year, then yeah, I, I think they, they definitely have the possibility and, and maybe even likelihood of, of being a, a pretty solid group. The other concern I think we have here is will Dwayne Brown stay as healthy as he did last season? He played the most offensive snaps of any Seahawk last season, one more than Russell Wilson did. So to do that at you know his his age, and it's not something we should necessarily count on uh, continuing now that he's turned 36. Yeah, this feels like the third season in a row of saying, well, look how old Andrew Whitworth is. And he, if he can do it, then, then Dwayne Brown could do it. So uh, hopefully hopefully we'll, we'll be doing this again next year. Although Whitworth did miss a lot of time last season due yeah, to injury that, against yeah. the Seahawks. But, came but he back, was, came back he's 40 now. Yeah. Much faster than we were anticipating. And that is true. We thought, we thought his career was over and it was not over. <laughs> not by a long shot as it turned out. So... Uh, I mean, do you want to put a number on where in DBOA we think this team is going to rank offensively? I think like the, the expectation would be like on average five to seven, but like higher than that, or even much higher than that wouldn't be that surprising. But for a guess, I'll say five. I was going to say a top five team in DVOA. So uh, basically the same. I mean, you know, there are some offenses when you look throughout the league that do I think that the, the Seahawks are going to have a better offense than the Chiefs? Probably not. But are they going to be in that conversation and the next year after the very, very best teams offensively in the league? You know, some teams will rise, some teams will fall within there. I think they have the best offense in the division by a pretty significant amount. And I think they will be at least number five on offense. I mean, do we think if they get into the top three, is that what it kind of takes to reflect like Shane Waldron has actually made the difference that we're hoping he makes? Yeah. Yeah, I think I that's mean, a, a reasonable, <laughs> yeah. Yes, if they are the number three offense, I think we're all going to be happy. For sure, we're going to be happy, yes. I, I don't know if we're going to spend that much time pinpointing whether it's Shane Waldron or something else. I think we'll just be happy about them being the number three offense. I don't know if you're familiar with Seahawks Twitter. There's a lot of time spent debating everything. Okay, how about this? If there is success, Shane Waldron will receive credit for that success. For sure. 
I think there's almost no way that Shane Waldron doesn't receive credit for that success. And also on the flip side, if there's blame, Shane Waldron <laughs> will receive credit or will receive blame for uh, that lack of success on offense by the Seahawks. This is, it's, it's a wild situation to be in considering that Pete Carroll is the head coach and that he's a very heavy handed. Head yeah. Coach. I sort of disagree with that because I think if it's, well, you had Daryl Bevel and you fired him and then you had Brian Schottenheimer and you fired him and now you have Shane Waldron and the results are the same. What's the common denominator here? Some people will probably blame that on Russell Wilson because oh, yeah. that's what people do. <laughs> but I think Pete Carroll will get a little, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't say that he's like going to be on the hot seat because of it you know, depending on what the record is, but I, I think people will start to look in his direction. It depends on how it looks also though. Right. If the offense looks differently, but I think that this is going to be Shane Waldron is, he is the person that people are talking about heading into this year. People are not talking about Russell Wilson, probably in a good way. We have not really heard Russell Wilson's name in the media all that much when considering that we started this off season with so much about Russell Wilson, like not hearing anything about him is kind of nice. We're not hearing that much about almost anybody else. It's D Eskridge and it's Shane Waldron right now. And Dwayne Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Who will play week one, according to Pete Carroll. Uh, Some reports, many reports this afternoon that the Seahawks are in fact looking to sweetening Brown's contract for this season, although they don't plan to extend him. Uh, The defensive side of the ball, the Seahawks ended up, precisely league average 16th in defensive DVOA. And that does not tell the whole story because there were two very different Seahawks defenses. The first, you know, seven weeks or so of the year uh, where they were one of the worst defenses uh, 29th through week nine, that was the Buffalo game where they got torched. I guess it was a, a longer stretch than that. And then second half against a weak stretch of opposing quarterbacks, pretty good defense, which Mal Adams, uh, fitting in better, Carlos Dunlap supplying a pass rush that was missing, and DJ Reed solidifying that corner spot opposite Shaquille Griffin. Now, Griffin is gone. KJ Wright is gone, replaced by Daryl Taylor in the lineup, presumably. Uh, the the cornerback spot. Jordan, Jordan Brooks. Well, Jordan Brooks was already in there the majority of the time. So Taylor's kind of the, the new addition to the starting lineup, assuming he starts over Benson Mayoa in that spot which is what, what uh, Mike Sean Dugar mentioned last week on the pod. And, and then that cornerback spot has been in tremendous flux in the past week here with we haven't recorded since they traded Akello Witherspoon to the Steelers for a fifth-round pick in 2023, going in the span of a few days from presumed number one starter at left corner to off the roster entirely as Trey Flowers and DJ Reed now look like the guys going into the season. Hey, where are we at with the Seahawks defense overall? Yeah, the, the Witherspoon thing is strange because like when, when people signed him, like he, he's this cornerback with great tools and didn't quite work out with the 49ers, but that was true of DJ Reed as well. So I think people were really optimistic and that now he's not even on the team anymore. And um, it, it's really hard to like see a picture of how the Seahawks get passable cornerback play this year. Like if you had told Seahawks fans at the end of last season that Trey Flowers is going to be back as their right cornerback and uh, Shaquille Griffin would be gone, then I, I think nobody would be happy about that outcome. But that, that's kind of the place that um, we've landed in. <laughs> and people are talking <laughs> themselves into it hard. They're oh, marketing yeah. harder than I was after the, the Huskies no. game on Saturday. Nobody's <laughs> he saw it with the Huskies. If if after week one to the fucking Colts, if Trey Flowers and I don't even know, Colts receivers, who's the, the rookie that they have from... 
God, USC who played last year? Oh, Pittman. Uh, <laughs> uh, Michael if, Pittman Jr., yeah. Yeah, Michael, if he has 200 yards against DJ Reed, then people could be upset about it. But <laughs> nobody could be bargaining like you and the Huskies because you actually saw it and bargained after. After it happened, you still bargained. Still bargaining? They lost to Montana. <laughs> it definitely did happen. The Seahawks will not go into this game against the Colts as 22 and a half point favorites and Trey Flowers and DJ Reed be roasted. But do you think that there is a certain aspect to this of, I, I don't, I don't want to say that we should trust in the Seahawks decision-making process, but obviously they've seen what's happening on the field with Akella Witherspoon and these various cornerbacks. And if Akella Witherspoon just was not, playing up to their standards in practice then you have to assume that it just something wasn't working there there was more going on than just his past history like they saw it and they felt like it was bad enough that they wanted to move on from him completely yeah i if, if they thought he was he wasn't going to work out then i have no problem with getting rid of him but i think it's a red flag that that's happening so late in the process uh without any clear clear replacement uh, and there's like neither outside cornerback spot is really like there's there's no proven NFL starters there or I, I mean uh, Flowers is a starter but not like has never played at a high level throughout the course of a season so like it's like it's a pretty if, if you look at their cornerback situation compared to other teams like there's very few teams that like don't have players who have started for seasons before and played at a high level. And wow. whenever I see this, the Seahawks fans yell at me, but the like that's just disrespect. the reality. He, <laughs> how, how many games did he play for them last year? Like he looked good, but it was a we part are, of a season. <laughs> yeah. We are counting on that being real meaningful because we've never been fooled by a solid half a season by a corner yeah. before. A- Witherspoon has had good stretches of seasons, but, but there is together a whole season. <laughs> there is another NFL starting quarter, veteran NFL starting quarterback on the roster, and that's Blasson Austin, who started 16 <laughs> games the past two seasons for the New York Jets before being waived at the roster cut down and was signed by the Seahawks, is the latest competitor in that group. So they've, they've got some guys, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess so if you're not going to invest anything at the position, then the way to do it is to just churn through guys and hope one of them pans out. So in that sense, I, I can't fault them for what they're doing, but it seems like a very risky plan. If, if none of these guys end up hitting. I mean, the good thing is that pass coverage is not that important. Yeah. And, and that, that's why like you could talk yourself into not investing a ton in it and just hitting a bunch of guys and hoping it works out. But if, if it doesn't work out, then you kind of look silly at the end and, maybe mid-season they'll be trading away a 2024 20, first round pick for uh, some disgruntled cornerback somewhere. <laughs> I, the chances of that happening feel so high. <laughs> they said I, they wouldn't do it again, but you know, it's coming. I believe uh, Mike Sean threw out Darius Slay on last week's pod. There we yeah, go. Yeah. I heard that. And I was like, yeah, that's that, that reasonable. I mean, I mean, corner round pick corner is the one position. I don't know that I would trust Cause the one thing about a killer weather spin working out is like, again, when was the last time that the Seahawks brought in someone who had a proven track record with another team in that player stuck with them at cornerback. It really hasn't happened. In when the was the last time they, they've, they've drafted Griffin is the only. Oh, I'm not saying that's worked out better, but I'm just saying since 2011. <laughs> yeah. 
but they were so good at developing those corners in 2011. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Carol's he's living off that for a long, a long time. But no, they they definitely do. They've released almost every cornerback that they've signed from another team. I mean, to at least get a fifth round pick for uh, Witherspoon is <laughs> a win. I mean, you paid two point five million in signing bonus for a fifth round pick. I I can get get behind that, I suppose. Let's talk about the pass rush because I feel like people are a little too hyped on this right now. Like, you know, the idea that Daryl Taylor adding him to this group that was solid at the end of last season with the addition of Carlos Dunlap and with Benson Mayo opposite him. Uh, you've got the ability to kick some of those guys, you know, to play multiple of those guys, LJ Collier inside to try to compensate the loss of the interior pass rush with no Jaron Reed, which feels like that's the loss. Like uh, people are talking about Shaquille Griffin's loss. People are not talking about Jaron Reed at all. And he was the best interior defensive lineman on the team by far with all due respect to Puna Ford last year. It's kind of weird how quiet that has been, I would say. Yeah. The, uh, the Daryl Taylor thing is very strange to me because people like even people who cover the league, I hear them say like, oh, they're getting Daryl Taylor back. And like <laughs> he hasn't like back from where he hasn't played yet. <laughs> so if well, you were it's, just it's like, like having an extra draft pick, which they <laughs> badly needed this year. Yeah. But if like if you were just some random second round pick, I'm not sure people would say like, wow, watch out for this second round pick who's a rookie. But somehow since. Like since he missed a season and it's coming back, it seems like this mystique has built around him. And like maybe maybe he'll hit and he'll pan out, but I don't I don't understand like how people are expecting this before he even plays. Daryl Taylor's gonna go off this year. Come on. <laughs> we all know what's coming here. We saw him in the preseason. Are we not excited about Daryl Taylor? Oh, uh, definitely getting sacks against the second string Chargers <laughs> offensive line translates to the regular. <laughs> People are talking about like rookie quarterbacks and stuff. I'm just like, is anybody paying attention here? Nobody plays their players in the preseason. Like, Except the team all, with rookie QBs. Let's all cool the fuck off right now. Except on Daryl Taylor. But it's also, <laughs> it's a full season of Carlos Dunlap. It is a, a very deep group. You know that Pete likes having a very deep group on the defensive line. To me, the only question about this defensive line is actually the secondary and whether they can cover long enough to give them opportunities. I don't think that there's almost any group in the league that's instant pressure or whatever, maybe aside from an Aaron Donald or something like that. They need a little bit of time. And if the secondary can hold for moments, I think that this pass rush, they're, they're going to find the guys. They're going to be very well rested going into this. And I think there's a huge possibility of somebody really standing out. This is, so, it is the, it is the most exciting group, sorry to cut you off, of front seven that they've had since they brought in Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. Do you want to guess where PFF ranked um, their offensive line or defensive line going into the season of, uh, out of the 32 NFL teams? This season? Yes. Not really. <laughs> 22nd? 29. Oh, dear. <laughs> I've even read you. I mean, I read your piece last week on The Athletic and somehow did not internalize how bad that was. So I, I take it um, you disagree with this. <laughs> I mean, there's no way that they're going to be the 29th worst defensive line. They would, they would in be the fourth worst. 29th worst would be great. <laughs> they will be. They, they're going to be the 29th best defensive line in the NFL. I mean, like, I suppose it also I, I depends who you're counting in there. Thinks that. I, I, mean, yeah, I think that's... PFF is pretty rational. I, it depends to some extent who you're counting in there because the Seahawks sort of at times are playing more of a three, four with Taylor yes. as an outside rusher 
is opposed to, and, and Taylor and Mayo as outside rushers, is opposed to actually playing them as defensive ends with their hand in the dirt. So that's going to be one of the interesting things to watch. Those guys in coverage, we saw obviously the Elton Robinson play where he got matched up with, I forget which Raiders receiver in week one, and it, it did not go super great, but <laughs> better than maybe it had any right to go. I also should have mentioned Kerry Hyder providing that yes. interior pass rush is another one of their additions. I mean, they certainly invested in the defensive line. You can't argue that. Linebacker, you've got, again, depending how you count Daryl Taylor, but Bobby Wagner and now a full season of Jordan Brooks. And again, it feels like people are just kind of penciling in like, oh, Jordan Brooks is going to be as good as KJ Wright. Like KJ Wright was awesome last season. Yeah. I don't know that we could count on that at all. Yeah, I, I think that's extremely unlikely. Like maybe he will add things that KJ Wright didn't have. Like, like the defense will be noticeably faster. I, I'm sure people will be saying that after a couple of weeks, like comparing uh, Brooks to Wright, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be a better player than Wright. And it's not really even reasonable to expect him to be because Wright was playing his 10th NFL season as, as an awesome player. So um, like, even if he approaches that level, it would, I, it would probably be a success for him. Um, but it, that, that's a lot to live up to and, and shouldn't be some, certainly shouldn't be something that is assumed. Um, I'm, I'm glad we did the offense first because the defense is a lot more <laughs> doom and gloom than, than the it offense. Really <laughs> it really is. Uh, the safety <clears throat> spots are one place you do feel pretty good about. Quandre Diggs has established himself as a really solid free safety in this scheme. One of the outside additions who has adapted most seamlessly. And I think Jamal Adams is going to be better this year. He'll be healthier undoubtedly after playing with a variety of injuries throughout the course of last year. And they just have a better idea of how to use him. I think after a full season in the scheme. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking back to how excited we all were after seeing Jamal Adams against the Falcons in week one. And, and hopefully that's like what he normally looks like when he doesn't have a million injuries. So at, at least that's like, if, if you want to be optimistic about what he'll look like in the defense, I think that's, that's what you would think back to. And also may not be counting on him to play as much of a pass rush role as he did last season, which was sort of out of necessity because you weren't getting that from your defensive line. And if the pass rush is at least somewhat improved, it's not the same need. Yeah. It, it should be somewhat improved relative to the beginning of last year, just because of Dunlap alone. If, if he stays healthy, one would hope. Exactly. So we'll add that all up. Football Outsiders projects the Seahawks, after all this movement, to go from the 16th best defense to the 16th best defense. There it is. I'm taking the under on this one. Like better or worse? Under worse. is in a bigger number? Okay, yes. yeah. Yeah, I would, I would take the under. I mean, I think if they're a top 20 defense, I probably feel good about it, all things considered. Yeah, if, if they... If we get our top top three offense and a number 20 defense, then yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I, I think they'll be right in that pack. League average. They, they were exceptionally bad to begin last season. They were, I don't think they were, at, and they showed it in the second half of the year where they improved to being league average. I think they probably should have been league average throughout the season. And I think that's probably where they are now. I'm, I'm less concerned about the corners then maybe I should be. I mean, DJ Reed and Trey Flowers are both experienced corners to a certain extent. Like Shaquille Griffin was a nice player, but I don't think that Shaquille Griffin was completely fundamentally altering what this defense did. And by losing him, I just don't see any sort of 
market downgrade. And I think the upgrades that they're having at other positions, plus having a healthier Jamal Adams, kind of leads them back to that same path. I wouldn't be surprised if they were a better defense also. One place they are likely to regress next year is special teams, where after three years of finishing 20th, 24th, and 20th in a spot that had been a major strength during the DVOA championship era for the Seahawks, last year with Larry Izzo is basically the de facto special teams coach on an in, uh, in is officially the assistant special teams coach. Now he's got that role with Brian Schneider's uh, permanent departure. Uh, they finished third. They bring back the entire group of specialists. Uh, you know, not, not going to be any changes there. You feel good about Jason Myers, Michael Dixon, and, and the long snapping that they've been getting, but uh, probably some different returners that they're going to work through this season and just the odds of staying in the top five in special teams DVOA, given how variable that is, are pretty low. Yeah, the, the one thing that is consistent is punting and Michael Dixon's great, so they'll have that. But um, yeah, the, the, the field goal making part especially is, is pretty <laughs> random from year to year. <laughs> <clears throat> I got made to get worse. He's gonna miss a kick. Yeah, <laughs> I got made fun of for saying that I thought that Jason Myers. I didn't know if it was sustainable what he did last year, and you were like, "Yeah, I think he's probably gonna miss a kick." <laughs> so overall, I feel like this package could probably look more like the. Uh, I mean, not that it was dramatically different, but the 2019 team in terms of DVOA, fifth on offense, 21st on defense, 20th in special teams. I think they'll be better than that for sure, and that netted out to. A, uh, a pretty much even point differential that season, but still an 11 and five record. And I feel like that's kind of the ballpark where I'm thinking for this year's Seahawks, although probably not with the same point differential record disconnect necessarily. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if their point differential were only even like, I, I would think that they would hopefully be better than that, but we'll see. <laughs> that was a very strange year. Um, they're, they, I, I'm trying to remember the exact factors that affected their point differential, but they had a lot of bad luck on things like uh, losing fumbles after completed catches and just like a lot of stuff that went kind of strange. And this, like ev- fans of every team say, oh, point differential is not representative of this team, uh, especially when those teams won a lot of close games. And that's exactly what I'm doing here. But I, I think that that team was better than their point differential. I mean, they were eight <laughs> in DVOA. Their DVOA yeah, was yeah. plus 12.7%. So very odd to have that <laughs> this in, is the team neutral that... point differential. That had Jacob Hollister to the one yard line yeah, against the Niners. Yeah. Okay. Correct. And then beat the Eagles in Philadelphia against. Yeah. So I've been watching that all or nothing season on the 2019 Philadelphia Eagles. Is there was oh, no right. all or nothing on the past season? And I, I've gotten to the Seahawks regular season game, but man, can I not wait for that playoff game? If, if I, so I guess this is spoiling it, but if, if I remember, there was disappointingly not as much on the playoff game as I was hoping oh. for, but <laughs> there's been a lot, memory, of, a lot of Philadelphia yeah. talk radio on this season. A lot <laughs> of that. Let's talk about where the Seahawks rank in the NFC West. Yeah. I guess just even before then, it's kind of just a Seahawks season in a lot of ways. <laughs> like it's a little strange to look at this where I think that's why there has been so much attention on these small pieces, right? Because we're talking about who's new and there isn't that much new. I mean, that's why we're so excited about Daryl Taylor. It's why we're so excited about Shane Waldron. It's why we're so excited about D Eskridge, right? Because there, there were very little draft picks. Free agency wasn't huge for the Seahawks. There are a few notable losses, but they kind of had players around to replace those players that we also feel pretty good about. Somebody like Jordan Brooks. The cornerbacks are kind of the biggest question mark, I think, of the entire roster, right? 
that in seven. It'd have to be said. And you look at it and you add it all up and you're like, this is kind of where the Seahawks have been in their post DVOA championship era. This feels like a Seahawks season. And they've been pretty consistently, I, I guess, aside from the one down year, they've had winning records. They've been in the 10 to 12 range. They've been in the mix for winning the NFC West. And I think overall, when you take it, I don't see any reason why the season would be different. And there are maybe some small glimmers to think that they could be even better. Well, look, there's, there's one reason in particular why this season might be different, but boring that, yes, I think they're in the same ballpark. Yeah. And this is a good transition to the rest that they're talking about the division, because I, I do think that um, this, the Seahawks aren't like talked about that much per, perhaps because um, the Rams and 49ers especially have had like these just radical changes in the off season. Um, and, and even the Cardinals, this, this might be a make or break year for whether the, the Cliff Tyler pairing is going to be it for the long run. So compared to that, the Seahawks, like it, it's basically the same roster. Pete Carroll's still there. Um, they changed out their offensive coordinator. Other than that, like that's the major change. So the, the big question marks are what do people expect from the Rams and 49ers? So what people expect for the Rams and 49ers is for them to be the top two teams in this division and to be tr- pretty dramatically improved. Uh, it was interesting. I, I hadn't realized until Tristan mentioned that uh, Bill Simmons pod where he ha- had on uh, Third Pelton Brothers, Danny Kelly, and Mina Kimes on the same pod and uh, pointed out that the NFC West division odds, the Rams are slight favorites, or the 49ers slight favorites. They're basically neck and neck. And the Seahawks are not a distant third. They're, they're more of a 1C. They're in the same tier, but a clear third of that group. And that does not match what football outsiders' projections indicate, which have the Seahawks is very narrowly the best of those three teams, although like so narrowly that them and the 49ers have to the decimal point the same average wins at 9.7 apiece. The Rams, they have much lower at 9.1. Yeah, and there's a couple things going on there. One is that like any stat-based projection system is going to have a really hard time, especially with the 49ers, because like they were extremely injured last year and they have all this uncertainty at their quarterback position because you have to make assumptions about uh, is Jimmy Garoppolo going to be playing? Uh, if he does, how many games? If, if he doesn't play the whole season, how good is Trey Lance going to be? And like all these things that are just impossible to answer. <laughs> um, and, and for the Rams, it, it really comes down to how you value... Stafford relative to Goff. Um, and the, and the other thing, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. And depth, uh, depth and, yes, health and depth. The other thing is like when just looking at win totals, one thing to keep in mind is that like the 49ers by virtue of being bad last year have a very easy schedule. So like the, the 49ers having the same projected wins as the Seahawks in football outsiders, for example, doesn't, I, I think doesn't necessarily mean they're as good. It, it means that to some extent, the 49ers get to play these bad teams that the Seahawks don't because they won the division last year. And now with 17 games, there's an extra game against a top place team so that the schedule is a little more imbalanced. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts specifically on the Rams though, Ben, because I've been pretty, pretty consistently down on Matthew Stafford and seeing people this entire offseason talk about just, it's so fucking ridiculous to me. This idea that like, Oh, now Sean McVay can do everything he wanted to do. Beforehand, he couldn't do what he wanted to do with Goff. And it's just like Goff's holding back Sean McVay. Just wait, 
right? Like this idea is so fucking absurd to me that Matt Stafford is going to be the quarterback who's going to unlock that. And that the even such a thing even exists outside of the narrative world of being like, now every throw is available, right? Like <laughs> Jared Goff can make, he can throw the ball. And I don't know if the difference between Goff and Stafford is that significant between the two. I feel like it's more Sean McVay myth-making than it is any sort of reality. Where where do you stand on the Rams and their offense this season? So I think it's it's not just McVay myth making; it's also Matt Stafford myth making. Because like there there's a large chunk of people who think that like he's he's been this awesome quarterback in disguise for 12 years, and it's only like his surrounding cast and coaching and everything that has held him back. Um, and I, like I think it's possible that he makes a leap because like. Sean McVay is a great coach and we, we've seen him get good offenses out of Jared Goff in the past, but like, I think the most likely explanation is that like we've, we've seen Matt Stafford in a lot of different environments with a lot of different coaches. He's had like their offensive lines have historically been pretty good. Um, Timo Riske at, at PFF had a, a piece about this today. Um, he's like, he's had uh, Golden Tate, Calvin Johnson, Marvin Jones, uh, like all this talent receiver. So you really have to think that he's just had no competent offensive coordinators. And the difference between, for example, Daryl Bevel and Sean McVay is just this astronomical difference. And like, it's possible, but I don't, I don't think Bevel is like that bad. So it, it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea that he's just going to get this explosion going from the Lions offense to the Rams offense. So yeah, so all that to say, I, I, I'm with you on my skepticism of, of the Rams. I'm on the opposite side of this take. I, oh I think there's a nonlinear effect of having a quarterback who is actually capable of testing the defense deep. You listen I, to I don't flying know. coach. That's what you're trying to say. You heard Sean McVay talk all offseason. You you took in all the nepotism. You, I mean, you got it all and you bought it. I mean, it. I listened to Pete Carroll do flying coach the offseason before. I wasn't that high on the 2020 Seahawks because of it. We saw on Saturday what happens when you have a quarterback who can't test the defense deep and they're able to just, you know, sit on all that underneath stuff and make it make life much more difficult for them. I'm not saying that Jared Goff is Dylan Morris. And I am definitely not saying that Matthew Stafford is Sam Heward. You might, you might be, uh, he's a Oh no. Oh no. But I think it's going to unlock a lot of the field effect. And it's not just Stafford. It's also the fact that, Deshaun Jackson, it, to the extent that he stays deep, healthy as a deep threat, Tutu Atwell, who was someone who, you know, I think and it, it, like draft Twitter was very high on. Like they've got multiple guys that can stretch the field deep now in a way that Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are not as good at. And it allows them to do what they do best in terms of working underneath. We're going to see a different system because they'll probably play a lot more 11 personnel as opposed to last year, the 12 personnel that they played primarily with Higby and Gerald Everett, both at tight end. So I, I do think that they're going to make a leap offensively enough to overcome the inevitable defensive regression. I definitely agree that or if they're going to leap, make a leap, I think it would have to be because Deshaun Jackson is healthy and taking the top off defenses. And uh, we haven't seen him do that for a long time and he's 35 years old. So that's, I, I, I guess it's a lot of different things that have to go right for it to happen. Not, not to say that it's impossible, but uh, we'll see. Jackson. I will say the, the the schedule factor probably didn't hurt the Seahawks as much as it could have because you look at the NFC South, they play New Orleans, who is not, you know, necessarily a, 
the Rams get Tampa Bay. You'd rather have New Orleans than Tampa Bay. And then in the NFC North, they get Pittsburgh, who's projected to regress. The Rams get Baltimore. So it did not work out super great for the Rams. But the 49ers, out of those three divisions, uh, they, the Seahawks also play Washington football team as their third, you know, one determined by where you finish in the division is the NFC East champion. The 49ers out of that group get Eagles, Bengals, Falcons. So that does look pretty tasty. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't feel super strongly about either of those. I mean, you could be pretty confident that the Eagles are not going to be good. I could see the Bengals being feisty. Uh, who knows? I mean, should we talk about the Niners? I mean, this is a team that two years ago was in the Super Bowl last year, hit hard by injuries, particularly in the Seattle game, which is where Jimmy G went out. Uh, for an extended period of time after previously dealing with an injury. That's where George Kittle went out and it pretty much their season turned at that point. Then I, they had to play like four days later on Thursday night football. And the, who was the Cougar receiver who caught like a bunch of passes in that one? Am I remembering this correctly? Is that when they beat the ring? Oh no, that was the Packers slaughter, wasn't it? Yes. It, yeah. it did not go go well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where they had like nobody got him. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was really frustrating fantasy wise because I picked up a different one of their receivers <laughs> and, who didn't end up getting any targets in that one. And it was, uh, let me see here. Uh, yeah, it was nine. Oh, it was Richie James actually was the guy. It was not river Craycraft. He only had two catches. <laughs> Richie James had nine catches for 184 yards and a touchdown in that one. And I was stuck with Trent Taylor, who had one catch for nine yards. <laughs> but they get they get people back. Uh, we don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. We saw in the final preseason game where they were attempting to play two quarterbacks. Uh, I, I feel like the idea that it's like a platoon is a little overrated, but situational football certainly taking advantage of Trey Lance's running ability compared to Jimmy Garoppolo on standard down. So it's, it'll be interesting. So my, I'll, I'll lay out, since I already did this for the Rams, I'll lay out my uh, 49ers skepticism. Uh, so from what I understand, people think the 49ers will have like an above average to maybe even very good offense and a great defense and they're like in their heads they're picturing the the 2019 49ers defense is saying this this is the last time we saw them healthy so they're gonna have a great defense again but since then um in 2019 Richard Sherman was an all-pro uh they had DeForest Buckner they had uh Robert Sola who has since been um hired uh by the Jets to be their uh to be their head coach so um and Joey Bosa we haven't like we haven't seen him on in the regular season after tearing his ACL last year. So they like, there are a lot more unknowns than I think people are assuming with their defense. So like given everything we know about defense and their losses and how noisy it can be, like the, the expectation for them should probably be an average defense. And then the question is, can Shanahan plus either Garoppolo or Lance be like an elite offense? And it's certainly possible, especially if they play Lance and he, like actually pans out, but uh, it, it's definitely not a given in my head. It's a pretty huge leap that we're talking here. I mean, to, to consider them in this division, which is possibly the best division in the NFL, to assume that the team with the worst quarterback has a legit chance to win the division, I think it's making a pretty big leap in that scenario, especially because I understand the idea that 
people think of it a little bit too linear, linearly of team is very good. Team is bad for a season. Team will bounce back. This happens, but it's not always so seamless as that. A lot of stuff has to happen through that time period. This isn't like a pro bowl or an MVP caliber quarterback got injured in the meantime. This is still Jimmy Garoppolo and Jimmy Garoppolo missed some time last year, but it's Jimmy Garoppolo or a rookie quarterback and competing in a division this difficult with some of these defenses that they're going to be facing and the Rams in particular, I think it's going to be pretty tough. I have them third of this group, but I wouldn't be surprised if they win the division at all, no matter, you know, where Jimmy G or, or Trey Lance ranks at quarterback, because they just can put such a devastating running attack together at times. And if they do get you know, a facsimile of that 2019 defense, I mean, we, like we saw it two years ago, like you can't rule that out as part of their upside is that they ben could be as good as the 2019. How the defense is different. You're talking about Raheem Mostert right now. You're telling me that a running back is going to be like bouncing I'm back a from- running game. I, I don't know if it's necessarily Raheem Mostert. I, I don't know if I've drafted Trey Sermon in any of my leagues yet, but if I have, I'm hoping it's him. I don't know. I couldn't get what him. you're saying, though. You're saying that the rushing attack is going to lead this team on a bounce back from two years ago. I when mean, was the last time that ever happened? Well, the 2019 49ers, but also the 2019 Baltimore Ravens. I don't know if you're aware. They wrote a pretty good pretty good rushing attack to the league's best record. Is, okay, so you're telling me that Trey Lance is going to be an MVP caliber quarterback? Lamar was not that. a rookie in that season. I, I the rushing attack is based around Lamar Jackson. Like, Sure. You know who had already a pretty good rushing attack with a quarterback who is not a threat in the rushing game? Again, it's the, four, the San Francisco 49ers in 2019. Yeah, I, I think that is the possibility that should scare non-49ers fans is like we have seen them have an effective run game and, and Shanahan is is clearly good at that sort of thing. And like adding the additional component of having a large athletic quarterback can like definitely has the potential to scare defenses. They were not as good in DVOA as I thought they were in 2019. They were seventh in offensive DVOA. Hmm. <laughs> what what was their rushing DVOA? Seventh also. Okay. Baltimore was number one by a mile, of course. What are we talking about? How are you comparing these two? But Baltimore was number one in overall DVOA. <laughs> Just saying, it can happen. They had the fucking MVP at quarterback. Nobody thought he was going to be the MVP coming into this season. I'm... He wasn't a rookie. He was not that good the previous season. That is But true. also, I Lamar Jackson's a pretty special talent. If I, I can accept that being the MVP is maybe within the range of possibilities for Trey Lance, but I think it's a pretty slim possibility. I think we need to have like a, a Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott type rookie season. Yeah. And I'm not saying he's going to be the MVP this season. I'm just saying that they can put together an effective, an effective enough rushing attack to win the division. Okay. I don't Fair think enough. that's a controversial take as the team that is plausibly favored to win the division. Uh, we should talk about the Arizona Cardinals because no one else is. That's this is this is the the piece that is so shocking. I've talked about this all offseason. Is for some reason everybody forgot that the Arizona Cardinals existed, and they may have the second best quarterback in the entire division in Kyler Murray. I think people are very out on Cliff Kingsbury as a coach. Just being out on Cliff Kingsbury as the coach doesn't mean that the team is bad necessarily. Cliff Kingsbury may not be the answer long term. 
but this is still a team that is one game away from making the playoffs last year, right? Like everybody's feeling very positive about the Rams and what they did. But for some reason, Chris Streveler doesn't win a game and the Cardinals are completely forgotten about. The backup bowl. Yeah, I I think this is fair. I mean, I know I think they're the weakest team in the division. Football Outsiders agrees with that, but the idea that they're like not even in the conversation is I do not think supported by certainly how well they played last season. I was blown away. I didn't realize they had nine point six Pythagorean wins last season, which and, and they looked a lot better before Kyler hurt his shoulder too. So that's yep. like kind of the asterisk with their whole season is like we remember. The, the second game the Seahawks played against them, like the, the Cardinals did not look very good, but that, that was also when Kyler was 100%. And in, in the first time they played, the, the Cardinals uh, definitely looked like they were capable of matching up with the Seahawks and, and frustratingly for Seahawks fans and <laughs> ended up winning that game. <laughs> um, Benson Mayo play. Benson Mayo, it was Benson yeah. Mayo was over center or lined up off sides or something and got a penalty. On the, if on that, the field goal, right? If that, tried to, yeah. If that does not happen, the entire season is different. We're looking at a completely different world right now. If that Ryan one Schottenheimer is the head coach of the New York Jets. It, he might be. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Before we get to the over-unders. What, I did where, wanna... where does Steve UIC, the Cardinals, though? Can, where do they rank kind of overall on these teams? Where, where do the DBA projections for each team? Well, like I said, Seahawks and Niners is essentially the same in average wins has been pointed out. Seahawks do have the better projected DVOA. Uh, they're sixth there. San Francisco is eighth. The Rams are ninth in projected DVOA, but uh, 0.6 wins lower on average at 9.1, I think, because again, that schedule did not work out for them. And then Arizona is 20th with 7.9 projected wins. So DVOA is substantially lower compared to where they were in last season in terms of DVOA or in, in terms of point differential, at least. Where were they at in DVOA last year? Where did they finish? Let me look that up. I think part of it was they probably had an extraordinarily easy schedule, but they were 13th in DVOA. So yeah, I, that's I, a pretty big drop. I mean, I'm not questioning. There's no, nobody is influencing DVOA in this way, right? Like it's not like there are pundits who are coming in and being No, like, nobody is putting their, putting their finger on the scales. I, People I, are influencing I, it, but it's like the players when they change. I'm just kind of surprised by it. That you would have a team where you have Kyler going into his third season. This should be Kyler's breakout season. And for some reason, it feels like he he's not getting, but this is probably better for them. It feels like they're not getting the kind of attention going into this year. Oh, nobody be, believes in us. We should be a lot more scared of the Cardinals than we are right now as Seahawks fans. All right, like I was saying, before we get into the over-unders, wanted to talk quickly about the our predictions for what would happen to the Seahawks last offseason when we recorded at the end of the year. And Ben said, we never go back and look at these, but I'm defying <laughs> KJ Wright, we were all in agreement that he would be back, which was finally officially taken off the board last week when the Las Vegas Raiders signed, or I guess officially, the, earlier today on Monday, he officially signed that one-year deal with the Raiders. I think our process was good. He had a good season. Didn't sign for much. Seahawks definitely could and perhaps should have brought him back, but they just decided they didn't want to. Yeah, I think we were right that there might not be as much of a market for him as he expected going out into free agency. Just the Seahawks were even more convinced that they didn't need him. Uh, we all agreed that Puna Ford, Ethan Posick would be back. 
we also all agreed that Shaquille Griffin would be back. So we either misread the market or the Seahawks' willingness to spend at cornerback or both. Uh, we all thought that Benson Mayo was gone. We were all wrong on that one. Thought that they would bring, several of us mentioned them potentially bringing back Bruce Irvin, who remains unsigned instead. Uh, David Moore, we all thought was gone. Wow. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty deep unit. Uh, David Moore, we all thought was gone. I said that they needed to draft a wide receiver in the second round. I actually said they needed to re- draft a re- wide receiver in the first two rounds, but was then reminded the Seahawks did not have a third round pick. Uh, and then Chris Carson, Ben and I both thought he would be back. Tristan thought he was gone. With that, let's get to the over-unders. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar at this point, as Danny, I think, was when we did this with him, uh, it's the number of games that teams will win this season does not include ties whatsoever. And there are odds built into this. So if you take the over or the under, you're paying a certain, you know, vig to the casino for that privilege. If, if basically it's considered a completely fair line where 50% of bets are over 50% bets are under, then you'll see minus 110 on both of those. But several of them have moved around because they rather kind of play with those than have different numbers out there. So to start with the Arizona Cardinals, who we just talked about, have a line of eight wins. Tristan, what do you think? I, I told you beforehand, this would be my lock. Uh, you did. <laughs> I mean, it, it's shocking to me that you would add another game. That They won eight games last year, right? Or nine? They won eight games, yes. They won eight games last year. We have Kyler, you're older, and you've added another game to the schedule. I understand that the, the schedule might be slightly different this year, and they're not playing fourth place schedule, but this is... Well, they are still playing the fourth grade schedule, actually. The 49ers finished. Oh, no, they, 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 no, they are playing the third place schedule. Never mind. Never mind. This is baffling to me. It's an easy over. Yeah, I, I think I'll take over just <clears throat> because I think it's more likely they, they win nine or more games than seven or fewer games. And <clears throat> sorry, lost my voice for a second. Okay. Um, one thing I got to say when we did this in, I think it was 2017, there were like a lot of lines that were just like, it, insanely wrong obviously wrong like that was that was after the year after the raiders like won a bunch of close games that the 2016 raiders and they had an over under of like 11 wins uh, and same with the giants had double digit over under and like all these things that were just like this is crazy this is wrong and i, I think this year like they seem much more reasonable so i i, I think that the, the things that we've learned about what is persistent for football teams uh from year to year i i think at least my two-minute two impression from looking at this is that uh, we, we seem to be getting smarter about predicting how teams will do. Yeah, you had you and Tristan both had the Giants and Raiders uh, unders as locks and won both of those. I had the 49ers under as a lock and the Jacksonville under as a lock and got both of those. And Carolina, Tristan had the Carolina under that year. And so we were like eight for eight combined on our locks. Yeah, there, there were so many ones that were just like obviously insane. It's too bad none of us, at least at least I don't, uh, actually wager money on this because that seemed like it would have been easy money that year. <laughs> right. <clears throat> All right, Atlanta Falcons, a line of seven and a half wins. Been some action here on the over. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the over for them. Uh, as much as not having that much confidence in a couple other teams in their division. And they, they could definitely have a pretty good offense if, um, if Kyle Pitts hits and um, Arthur Smith 
does what he did in, in Tennessee. So uh, sure, I'll, t- I'll take the over. I can't quit the Falcons. <laughs> Always an over for the Falcons. You guys talked me into the over here. Football Outsiders only projects them for 7.1 wins, but you're right. I believe in Arthur Smith and Matt Ryan. Uh, Baltimore, a line of 10 and a half wins. Uh, it feels weird starting with three overs, but I, I think they're, they're a team that might be uniquely challenging to prepare for in the regular season. And there, there's a question of whether that translates to the playoffs, but for the regular season, I, I think it's hard to imagine them winning 10 or fewer games. I guess I'll go over also on the Ravens. I don't feel great about it though. I mean, it's pretty much exactly what their football outsiders projection is, which is 10.6 wins. But uh, the thing about the Ravens is they've had a lot of injuries at running back and that does not matter. Buffalo bills. So I'm also taking the over coming of Trey Lance at quarterback. We are nine for nine on overs. (laughs) No, they have the first coming of Trey Lance at quarterback. (laughs) That's how that works. Uh, Carolina, uh, no Buffalo, I should say a line of 11 wins. Um, I'll take an under here. Um, I I think like they're very like a Stefan Diggs injury, which is real radically changed their season. And like Josh Allen looked great last season, but there's also a possibility for regressing. So, um, it wouldn't surprise me if they were great again, but I could see the other way happening too. Yep, going under there. We are all in agreement on all of these thus far. <laughs> uh, Carolina, as I was saying, a line of seven and a half wins. Uh, that seems crazy to me, so I'm going to go under. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they got to seven and a half wins on this on this over-under. I mean, a- adding the difference between Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold, obviously you're expecting health uh, to be a factor, but I think is probably a downgrade at this point. It's kind yeah. of fascinating that the team where Teddy Bridgewater ended up has a higher over than I was anticipating, and the team that he left has a higher over under than I, or line than I was anticipating. So going under here. I mean, I sort of get it from the standpoint that they did have like seven Pythagorean wins last year with Christian McCaffrey hurt most of the year, but yeah, I mean the Sam Darnold factor is. We are again all in agreement on this. Hopefully at some point we're going to disappear. This is going to be a very bad podcast material. Chicago Bears, a line of seven and a half wins. Uh, action on the under here is there has been under, predictably for Carolina. Uh, I'll take the over. And it's probably a bad idea, but you have to assume that they play Justin Fields and there's like the Lions and Vikings aren't that scary in their division. So sure. I was going to pick exactly the opposite of whatever Ben picked uh, <laughs> on the Bears because I don't feel particularly strongly about it. I mean, them playing Justin Fields to me feels like it it leads me to neither the over or the under. So I, I do I look, I think Justin Fields probably will end up being a very good player, but is he going to be as a rookie with the Chicago Bears talent around him? He I'm doesn't have to be a good player. He has to be better than the Bears quarterbacks. And not even better. He has to be this not that much worse than the Bears quarterbacks in 2020 you, when they went eight and eight. Do you want to know a shocking fact about the Chicago Bears that I learned recently? What's that? They made the playoffs last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they, Mitchell Trubisky was the MVP. We all sat around and watched the, the Nickelodeon broadcast with the Chicago Bears playing in a playoff game. That was just a year ago. I'm pretty sure I had it on on the second screen and was watching NBA primarily. <laughs> so it makes more sense that I would forget it. But hey, good for that seven, seven playoff teams. Love that. 
Uh, I am taking the over here also on the same logic as Ben. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals, a line of six and a half wins. This this is one team and from earlier conversation, I think we disagree about this, but this is one team I'm just not high on at all. So I'm, I'm taking the under. I, I just, I don't see it with them. Going over on the Bengals. I mean, it's interesting that, that Justin Fields, I understand the talent around them is different, but that a healthy Joe Burrow doesn't get them to seven wins, but that Justin Fields starting leads the Bears to eight wins. Yeah, and you know this isn't dramatically different from their Pythagorean record equaled out last year to five and a half wins. So, with if, Ryan if, Finley, yeah, if you assume that Joe Burrow and just internal improvement gets them one win, I, I also like the over here. Uh, Cleveland Browns, a line of ten and a half wins. Yeah, the, I think the Browns are like the hardest team to think about for a lot of reasons. So one, like the. As many people have pointed out, they had a, I think it was a negative point differential last year, but they won 11 games and then ever so slightly of, positive. Yeah. It, was, it was Seahawks 2019. Yeah. Oh no, no, it was negative actually. And I'm, I'm not calculating this out to 17. So yeah, they were under eight and a half projected Pythagorean wins projected yeah. to 17. And they like, they had three straight games in just terrible weather. So you have to take all their offensive stats with a grain of salt and like just trying, uh, uh, you have to decide what you believe about Odo Beckham coming back and year two with Mayfield and Stefanski. And like, there's, there's just all these question marks. So all, all that to say, like, I really have no idea what to expect from them, but uh, I will take the over just more because I think the Bengals and Steelers will stink. So uh, I'll, I'll take the over. <laughs> Interesting. I'm, I'm going with the same logic that I use for the bears. I mean, you can see the over under you're paying one ten on either side. I think they, they kind of hit this exactly. And just it's hard to get to 11 wins still. So I'm going to go with an under. Anytime the Cleveland Browns get hyped, it goes extremely poorly. And that is why I am not only taking an under here. I am wow. making this my lock. Wow. I already don't feel good about my over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dallas Cowboys, a line of nine wins. So this is one that feels pretty strange to me because a year ago, there was all this hype about the Cowboys. Uh, last year, like their offense looked great while Dak was playing and then Dak got hurt and their defense was kind of bad for most of the year, but we know defense is on sale from year to year and their division is terrible. So I, I don't get the nine wins here. I, I think this is an over. Do, but what was the record when Dak got hurt? They still didn't have a very good record. Oh, because the defense was that bad. Yeah, the defense was bad and they had like a lot of fluky turnover things happen they, to them. They also had a hard schedule really. They like that was like four games and they played but at you, LA and L- at Seattle, right? They won a game because of the the, like, <laughs> the Falcons onside kick, onside kick were, yeah. watching the <laughs> I I'm also going to go over for this, but it's a pretty strange one. Oh, I'm taking a hard under here. I I do not feel great about the the leadership of the Cowboys and the fact that Zach Martin's already on the COVID-19 list. It's, it's not, things aren't going great. Those here. receivers though, CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. Like- I think they're good. I'd love to have Cowboys in fantasy, but <laughs> in real life, I'm not as fond of them. I've got a lot coming on this next one. Denver Broncos, a line of eight and a half wins. Yeah, that seems a little crazy given their quarterback situation and division. So I'll take the under, although they did look good against the Seahawks backups. Great. (laughs) Uh, This is a lock as an under the Denver Broncos for me, how you get to, I feel like they're one of those teams that consistently gets overrated in the, in their lines, maybe because they're a little bit of a national team, but how you get drew lock or Teddy Bridgewater to 
eight and a half wins here with that Broncos roster. I mean, Cortland Sutton is coming back. Like, I, I just absolutely do not see it. Surprisingly, both here in Dallas, by the way, the action has been on the over, but we disagree with, uh, <laughs> we all are in agreement that they are an under. I, the other shocking thing is Football Outsiders has them better than this. Football Outsiders has them at 8.8 wins. I just don't trust Vic Fangio <laughs> when it comes to it. That's, that's my issue. Uh, Detroit Lions, a line of five wins. That feels very low, but also, also they don't have receivers and they have Jared Goff. So I, I guess I understand. Uh, I'm trying to think of how I feel about the other teams in their division. I already said over for the Bears. So I guess man, five is so low. I, I guess I have to say over just because under like winning fewer than five games is so hard, but I don't feel great about it. It is very difficult. I, I don't know if I'm a big Dan Campbell guy. Uh, Dan Campbell plus Goff plus all the skill position players. It's it's a really tough one, though. I, I would say a push if I could because they feel like I a five, five. I mean, I suppose you could. Team. You would lose <laughs> if they go either over or under. So. But uh, I'm going to go under for this one. I, I took it over here. Uh, football Outsiders really high on them relatively at 7.2 projected. Is it, is uh. it Football Outsiders always high on the Lions? I, I feel that. like they like consistently were like, like last year they were like, oh, everybody's talking about the Cowboys, but the Lions have the best, the best projection from Football Outsiders. <laughs> I'm pretty confident that was not the case. I, <laughs> I could, I could go pull up that Lions, and see. I'm pretty I'm confident, confident that Football Outsiders consistently loves the Lions. I mean, they did have them at 8.2 wins last year. I don't know if I would describe that as low. Oh boy, both of us made them a lock. I guess that's why you remember it. <laughs> a lock over. Yeah. They were the off-season darlings last year because in 2019, there was the, these six games of Stafford and Bevel and everyone's like, oh, they're back and they're going to be awesome. Uh, didn't work out. <laughs> All right, Green Bay Packers, a line of 10 and a half wins. Uh, they were 13 and three last year and were awesome. The one hole you can poke in them is uh, their offensive line being more of a question mark than it has been for a while, but like, they had a, a great offense, which is typically stable, didn't really lose any pieces. So, uh, and their division is probably going to be bad. So, I'll take the over. That's an over. They could still lose Aaron Rodgers to Jeopardy, depending on what happens now <laughs> that that search has been reopened. But I, I also am taking over here. Houston Texans, a line of four wins. Yeah. I mean, how are you going to say over for the Texans? So, I, I guess I'll say under. <laughs> It's going to be hard for them to win games. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very difficult one, Houston, because you just look at that four, right? And it's pretty tough, but I'm going to have to go over. I think they get to at least five. Yeah, I feel like the history of teams that have over-unders this low is pretty good. Uh, so I also I mean, am taking we, it we over. That, there was that Miami team where we looked yeah. at it two years ago where you said, Oh, they might go in 16. Yeah, they're probably the worst team in the NFL and ended up upsetting the Patriots. After uh, trading away Micah Fitzpatrick. Indianapolis Colts had no line as of this morning, presumably because of ongoing confusion about Carson Wentz's status. I and... love the idea. Look, let me just tell you, Vegas. <laughs> you don't need to wait on Carson Wentz to know that this team is going to be fucking awful. I'm telling you right now, this this Colts team has 4-13 and 13 written all over them. Oh, yeah. boy. Whatever the line ends up being... I take the under. 
Uh, Jacksonville has a line of six wins. Uh, I'll, I'll take the over. Um, maybe Lawrence will be good, and they have the Colts and Texans in their division, so and the last place schedule. So maybe God, that is true. <laughs> I'm still going to go under. There, there's so many teams with unproven quarterbacks this year that it, it's pretty difficult to judge. But getting to seven wins for Jacksonville, I just don't see it. I'm taking the over, although I, I don't feel great about it. Definitely don't feel great about it. Kansas City, a line of 12 and a half wins. Yeah, this is a team that dramatically outperformed their Pythagorean and all that last year. I, I think they went 14 and two and weren't nearly that impressive in the regular season. So they're, they're not necessarily a regular season juggernaut, but it's also hard to see them losing the five games that it would take to go under. So this, this feels like a pretty high over under to go over on, but... I guess I'll take the over. I'm going to go under. I just don't think the Chiefs care that much. <laughs> and like, I, I could see them. They're kind of sleepwalking as a team right now. Do you, do you think they, they could, they're talking themselves into, well, we sleptwalked through last season and, and look what happened in, in, yes. the, in the biggest moment. So we got to take it seriously. <laughs> oh yeah. They're going to, they're going to bounce back because they sleptwalked all the way to the Super Bowl and then lost. <laughs> I could see it. I am also taking it over here. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders, a line of seven wins. That feels, I know their division's hard, but that feels pretty low for a team whose offense is that good. And maybe for the first time in Gruden's tenure, they'll have like an average defense. So uh, I, I think I'll take the over with them. I'll take it over. Yeah, they won eight games last year. So how <clears throat> the line dropped by a whole win with an extra game is a little confusing to me. Los Angeles Chargers, a line of nine wins, getting buzz as usual in the preseason. Yeah, this like when there's Chargers hype, then it's, it's probably going to be scared. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I'll take the under. They, they could be good. And I'm rooting for Brandon Staley, who seems like a, a great guy and forward thinking mind and all that. But um, not, nine wins seems pretty high to me. So I'll take the under. I'll go with it over here. I was going to go under, but then I don't know. You bought <laughs> into the Chargers hype. I bought into it. I mean, can they get to 10 wins? They're, they're going to be a very good team. You know, they could be a year away from really taking the leap, but 10 wins, come on. Los Angeles, uh, I'm taking the what under here. Uh, Rams have a, a line of 10 and a half wins. The action here has been on the under. Wow. Eight. Uh, yeah, by this point, everyone knows I'm taking the under here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately shocked that the action has been on the under for the Rams. Yeah. Uh, I am going to take the over. Oh, what a twist. <laughs> I, I, they don't necessarily even need to be that good of a team to get to 11 wins. It's true. That's why I am also taking the over here. Miami Dolphins, a line of nine and a half wins. <laughs> wow, that is... Crazy. I will take the under. That is shocking to me. They won 10 games last season. (laughs) This is not a 10-win team. They they won 10 games by Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in and winning games for them. (laughs) It's all true. Yeah, I'm definitely taking the under here as well. That that is definitely a lock for me. The Miami under. Miami under and and Dallas over. Those are my two so far. (laughs) Minnesota Vikings, a line of nine wins. Yeah, that's pretty hard. Um, I So their defense stank last year because they all got hurt and they're all coming back. 
Last year, they had a pretty good offense. So you would think that like all of that added together would be a pretty good team, but it's the Vikings and it's hard to, trust, it's hard to trust them, especially given their COVID situation. So I, I'll take the under there. Ooh, that's a good point. Unvaccinated quarterback should probably be an automatic under, shouldn't it? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to give the Vikings an over on this one. They're just, they're so hard to judge. I mean, that is dead on their football outsiders projection of nine point win, one wins. I'm going to take the under. Uh, New England, a line of nine and a half wins. Yeah, this 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 is hard along with all the other rookie quarterback situation ones. Um, feels like nine and a half wins with a rookie quarterback is a lot to ask. Uh, and it's not like the other teams in their division are necessarily terrible. So I guess I'll take the under. I'm going under here. Yeah, we're all in agreement on this one. New Orleans Saints, a line of nine wins. A little action on the under here. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to um, regretfully not get roped into the Jameis hype from that preseason game, which was very fun, but um, I, I think I'll take the under. Um, oh. They lost Breeze, obviously, and a lot of defensive pieces. Um, so, yeah, I'll take the under. This is division winner New Orleans Saints to you. This is an easy <laughs> over. <laughs> Not only am I getting it sucked into the Jameis Winston hype by taking the over, I'm making it a lock. There we oh, go. Wow. I mean, this team won 12 games last season with Taysom Hill starting several of them at quarterback. <laughs> like, come on. I know it's not the same defense, but I, I think they can win win 10 games. New York Giants, a line of seven wins. Uh, under. I'm, I'm going to fade them until I ever see reason to believe otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of surprised that the money is on the over here for the Giants. Maybe it's just because they play in New York. So that's that's an under. That's an under. Yes. I mean, football outsiders does like them. I think you guys have talked me into the under here, though. <laughs> uh, New York Jets, a line of six wins. That feels pretty low. So I'll take the over without feeling great about it. Is this Zach Wilson's team? Is he starting quarterback from day one? Oh yeah. Give me the over. Give me the over. This is for a Roberts law over. Oh, okay. I'm taking the under here. Uh, I guess I'm the only one who does not think that a rookie leading the New York Jets is going to go super what, great. What does Football Outsiders have for them? 6.1. It's pretty okay. much dead on. Who I'm is looking the at... Jets' backup quarterback is now I'm curious. PFF has them at 7.7. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I think they're extremely high on um, Wilson, so that's why. But <laughs> Do they know that they released Blasson Austin, though? Uh, <laughs> their rookie quarterback is Mike White. Who is apparently a quarterback that the Cowboys drafted in the fifth round in 2018 out of Western Kentucky? Ah, Western Kentucky. And it wasn't Blasson Austin on the Giants, not the Jets. No, he was on the Jets. Okay. Philadelphia Eagles, a line of six and a half wins. Uh, I'll take the under. I could see them winning like three games and it wouldn't be surprising. (laughs) I freaking hate the Eagles, but give me the over on this one. Yeah, I like. I like Jalen Hurts to at least like win some upsets. Maybe lose some games they should have won, but win some upsets too. Uh, some pretty heavy action on the over there. Pittsburgh Steelers, a line of eight and a half wins. Uh, I'll take the under. Uh, I, I don't think Ben has it anymore. And the only reason they won games last year was because of their defense. And we know how stable that is. So um, that's my under. Yes, this is an under. 
I mean, they have a long way that they can go and still hit the over. They won 12 games last year. So you know I'm how taking bad the over. they were in the second half of the season, though. I mean, their Pythagorean record was not, it was still like projected to 11.3 wins over a 17 game season. So the first half does count still. This, this next one, I'm just San so Fr- shocked by the number. Are you? San Francisco 49ers, <laughs> a line of 10 and a half wins. Yeah, so again, from our earlier conversation, this is an easy under for me. This is it under? I am also an under on this one. Even even Football Outsiders, which is pretty high on them, is still like nearly a win lower. Uh, action on the under there. Seattle Seahawks, a line of 10 wins. Okay, so this, when I wrote my article about how many wins will the Seahawks have this year, the, the line was nine and a half, so I guess it's moved up. And when it was nine and a half, I said I would take the over. Now it's 10 and... I guess I'll still take the over. <laughs> there you go. It's an over. Interesting to see that the the entire NFC West, aside from Arizona, that there's action on the under. Do you think people think that these three teams are overhyped or kind of going to beat up on each other throughout the season? I think probably more the beat up on each other aspect, but it'd be interesting. I haven't looked at what the like NFC odds are. Surely the team leading those odds, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Wait, wait, what they... are you taking for the Seahawks? You oh, I took over. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I don't say anything, I assume that I'm just in agreement with everyone. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a line of 12 wins. It, it seems weird that the, their line is so much higher than the Packers. Uh, the Packers were the better team during the regular season last year and probably should have beaten them in the NFC Championship game if, if Kevin King didn't do what he did. Um, Aaron Jones lost a fumble. like, um, And the Packers still have a lot of chances to win. So the divergence between these um, especially the division that the Packers play in seems kind of strange to me. So uh, I will take the under on Tampa Bay. Oh, this is such an easy under. This is, I, I don't know. How many locks do we get? I mean, however many you want. You can lock <laughs> anything. This, this no is a lock for me. How, how the people, how people have taken Tampa Bay from wild card team to clear favorite. I mean, I get it. They won the Super Bowl. I understand that. But Tom Brady is now 43 years old. Right. Like this is the the time has to come where maybe he won't have, you know, Peyton Manning spaghetti arm season. He's 44, 44 years old, even even better. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know if we're necessarily going to see that type of season, but there's going to be some slow regression. So Tristan is voting on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm putting uh, a lock on time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also have the under here. Uh, Tennessee Titans, a line of nine and a half wins. Um, so this is the team that had a great offense the last two years when Tannehill was playing. Their division terrible. So um, I think this is over, but I think I'm like, whenever I talk to people about the Titans, everyone else thinks they're going to stink. So I, I might be alone on this. <laughs> what? How are they getting there? Uh, so the argument is that the offense was only good because of Arthur Smith and they also lost like Johnny Smith and Corey Davis and their defense was terrible last year and they didn't really add anybody. That, that's the they argument added, for them. I mean, Jones. <laughs> they, not they, to defense. <laughs> they, they have the 32nd ranked defensive DVOA projection in the 28th rate special teams. Yep. Is it over? I'm, I'm going with football outsiders here. There's, a, there's enough room for them to still be a playoff team and not hit nine and a half wins. So I'm taking it under. Yep. Uh, Washington football team last up with a line of eight and a half wins yeah this one's hard because it's like a very old uh Fitzpatrick coming to save them 
plus a bet on whether their defense is going to continue being great, but also their division is pretty bad. So like all these things are kind of competing factors. Um, and you put this all together, I guess I'll take the over just because they have the Eagles and the Giants in their division. So uh, that's that's my shaky logic there. Yeah, they got to, they were at eight and seven and nine when they won the division or eight and eight? Seven and nine. Seven and nine, when they, ah, that is adding two more wins. But Fitzmagic is worth it. They, they're now going to have a competent quarterback. It's true. Despite all that, I'm still going with the under here. All right. Well, there we go. Anything else stand out looking back over it all at these lines going through them? I also want to make Denver under another lock. So I have there three locks. <laughs> nice. Uh, do you have, how many locks do you have, Kevin? I have two. You got to do a third one. We both, did, we both did three. Come on. Wait, okay. One more uh, lock. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. <laughs> let's make the Green Bay over a lock. 11 wins. Wow. That's not that hard to get to. They're going to get that. They're going to sleepwalk their way to 11 wins. All right. We've got nine locks now. We'll see if we can match the success of the 7 and 0 from 2018. <laughs> well, if we've got nothing else, then it's been a, a great discussion as always. Looking forward to getting the Seahawks season started on Sunday in Indianapolis. We'll see who's at quarterback for the Colts uh, and whether any of their wide receivers who are not T.Y. Hilton end up lighting up the Seahawks cornerbacks for 200 plus yards. Uh, And we'll be previewing that game on this week's regularly scheduled Pelton cast out uh, probably on Thursday this week. Yep. And uh, most importantly, just excited about having football back. We got a little bit of a tease with college football, but nothing compares to an NFL Sunday. Uh, And it has been uh, far too long since we've had one. Excited to embark on this 18-week journey of the NFL season. Ben, thank you so much for joining and previewing it with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, Looking forward to the NFL season in three days now. Maybe two by the time the listener is hearing this. Thanks for listening.